and greetings, programs, and welcome to another edition of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and with me, rejoining me after a week away, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. How are you? Yay! I'm back. I'm fine. Thank you very much. It was a very busy last week. Yeah, last weekend. First of all, thank you so much for Rachel for stepping in and being so fantastic on the podcast. Um, Rachel, if you're listening, next time you step in, can you be slightly less great? Um, <laughs> there was a little bit of stress on me now that I have to match this. Like, uh, uh, I was just saying to Matt, I, I listened to the podcast and went, wait, she began the podcast by talking about the industry and not saying how tired she was from her children. This is <laughs> this is a whole new thing. I might try that. Um, but seriously, um, uh, Rachel was wonderful, and it was a wonderful podcast. And it was so nice to hear you have someone speak to you about inside baseball. It was lovely. Yeah. But, um, also, yeah. and and Rachel's pretty great, and also has an amazing radio voice. So she does. She yeah. does indeed. No pressure at all. Although of all the weeks to miss, I missed the uh, British genre underdog movie week, which I have a lot to talk about because I hate <laughs> that genre. I've grown up with that genre. And I really hate it. <laughs> so um, I could have, I could have uh, helped. But um, I was out with my daughter um, on a three-day extravaganza to celebrate her eighth birthday. That uh, culminated in a a, a meal at Miku. Where you like Miku, don't you? Miku is some of the be- probably some of the best seafood I've ever had in my life. So and, for uh, those of you who are listening, who are don't not local to Vancouver or Toronto, Miku is very, very fancy uh, sushi yeah. restaurant. And yes, it is aburi. It is amazing. And they're yeah. famous for their aburi sushi. And we're in danger of becoming a food podcast at this moment because that place <laughs> is good. I will say two things about this. They uh, they gave us a little amuse-bouche of scallops. I've never had a scallop before. And it was a scallop with like red stuff on top in, in, in some oil. And I'd never had a scallop because I'm not really into shellfish. And this, uh, I, I ate it because I was like, why is, I'm going to eat a Miku scallop because it's probably going to be good. And it was like, if if butter were a fish, it was amazing. <laughs> I ate this thing was like, wait, I like scallops. <laughs> so, so that's good. But when the bill arrived, my wife and my daughter were in the washroom and my son wanted to look at the bill. And I was like, look, just don't react to the bill. And he opened it and in the middle of the restaurant. He did a full Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> because it was bloody expensive, but um, it was it was worth it. It's once a year. But so that was my weekend last weekend. So um, I uh, I was very busy. Well, I mean, it sounds lovely though. That's a that's you a fancy it. restaurant, and uh, eight is an important number. In a young person's uh, growth trajectory, I think. I don't really understand anymore. It probably is, isn't it? It probably is. But how are you? All, I know is, all, all I know is that your kids are sort of both at the age where they should be, you know, sneaking downstairs to watch R-rated movies uh, behind your back. <laughs> no, my, my I look forward to hearing about that. Um, all my son sneaks up downstairs to do is to play the 3DS that I found hidden under the couch. So he could come down in the middle of the night and play it, and then sit there. <laughs> so we're we're going through a, um, a a moment of him trying to play things that he's not allowed to play. At times, he's not allowed to play them by hiding things around the house. Oh, I laugh, but it's terrible. 
Look, I'm talking about my children again. How have you been? What have you been up to in the last week? Good. We, uh, I have been very busy, so I have not... I am technically attending the Tribeca Film Festival from home. One of the two films we're talking about today is technically a Tribeca release, so that's nice because I haven't really had a chance to watch hardly anything um, that I wanted to because real life is a thing that happens, and uh, I don't like talking about work on here, so I'm not going to. Okay, let's not do that. Let's yeah. talk about... Um, I think we're going to... I mean, the other thing, the big thing in like ner- nerddom at this moment is obviously... This week would have been the fifth episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi and the second episode of Miss Marvel, one of which was pretty okay, and another one of which was legitimately great. Uh, did you Have you watched either of those things yet? I, I have watched um, all of Obi-Wan so far, and I have not watched the second Miss Marvel yet. Yeah, so Miss Marvel continues to be pretty legitimately great, uh, bright and colorful and full of creativity, and it... It shouldn't come as any surprise to anyone that it is being review bombed on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes by upset people. Actually, upset people who basically look like us, like middle-aged white dudes with beards who can't handle when anything isn't directed specifically Mm -hmm. at them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a wonderful show, and I encourage all of you to watch it. Uh, I think we're going to talk more about Obi-Wan Kenobi next week after it's over. Yeah. but I'm suffice to say, that show has been a bit of a mixed bag so far. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very polite way of putting that, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it's inaccurate, though. I mean, it's uh, it's there's some great things and there's some not great things. And I look forward to talking about those next week. Indeed. I'm glad you mentioned the colors of Miss Marvel, actually, because that's what really struck out for me for the first episode. And that's all I'm looking at at the moment since I finished RRR this week as well. And uh, what's been lovely is that I, because I, if you remember the RRR podcast, I didn't really, I was at a two star place during that podcast. And I was so interested in how that changed when I kind of, there's a thing with food that I really like that if you've, instead of saying, I don't like this food, if you try something new. You say, I don't know how to eat this. Like, I don't know. I'm learning how to eat this. Like, what's this flavor? And I I really like that approach. And so I went back to RRR and I, as I said on the podcast, you know, I don't want to judge it by Western cinema standards because there are other things to look for. So I learned how to watch it. Like, I took a lot of your advice and uh, I realized I don't know how to watch this. And by the end of it, (laughs) I was basically standing, clapping, going, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, what is going on right now? My wife watched the last like hour and a half with me, and I've never seen her do this before. But she basically talked to herself and like did a director's commentary of like, oh, he's picked up the bike, or, oh, there's a tiger. Like I've never heard her so vocal in a, in a thing before. It was like a pantomime, and I guess it is like a pantomime. So I drew this stupid graph that was in my head, and I've had so much love on Twitter for this graph from legitimate RRR fans from the culture who have known for years that this stuff is great. So I want to, if you're listening, RRR fans, I hear you and I'm really grateful for the love you've um, poured out and the recommendations because I already have a watch list. I know we both have a watch list of uh, movies from that culture that I can't wait to get into now, especially with uh, a couple of the same actors because I'm totally on board. And as a result, everything just looks grey and drab now. 
I tried to watch Fantastic Beasts 3 and by the halfway through, I was like, where's the, where's the colour? Where's the excitement? But more importantly, where are the tigers being used <laughs> as projectile weapons? <laughs> um, I haven't watched Fantastic Beasts 3, but I assume that there is, as with Fantastic Beasts 2, a dearth of actual Fantastic Beasts. Ah, the, I don't know what to say about that series anymore. I actually really like the first one. The third one, the second one's terrible. The, the third one's got Mads Mikkelsen being brilliant in it. But there's really, it is so joyless. And for uh, something, something that comes from like a magic place, it, it's um, it's a tough watch. My wife watched the whole thing and I said, did it get any better? And she said, no. And she's a massive yeah. Harry Potter fan. Well, I mean, Mads Mikkelsen is literally always a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, so is... Uh, I, I'm, I really enjoy where Jude Law is at in this yeah, point Jude, in his career. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jude, but Jude those Law's movies there. are... Those movies feel like a big cynical cash-in. And honestly, as much as... You know, as much as there's an, an argument to be made for separating art and artists, I have a really hard time separating J.K. Rowling from anything at this point yeah. that she's connected to at this point. Yeah. So, because she's, a, as it turns out, a garbage human being. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's, um, <laughs> that's, I was going to say, that's very much like our first film-ish, sort of. Not really. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about two films like we always do, uh, like we mostly always do. Um, uh, and this week we're going to start with a new Netflix release. It's on Netflix already by the time you're listening to this called Spiderhead, which stars uh, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller and Journey Smollett and is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who recently directed one of the best movies of the year, Top Gun Maverick, and now has directed this, which is... Fine, I guess it's fine. I mean, it's uh, it's. It, it, what's the what's the setup here? Tell us, tell us what we're watching. What's the overview? <clears throat> yeah, so I had a really hard time with this movie. <laughs> if it's not clear, um, so the basic setup is that Miles Teller and Journey Smollett and a few other people are prisoners in a futuristic, high tech prison run by a uh genius pharmacologist i guess he is played by chris hemsworth in full-blown smarmy american accent mode uh and the whole deal is they have somewhat you know relative freedom to move and nice amenities but they are subject to drug trials at all times like they uh they have a little thing in their back that delivers drugs and they are basically trialing drugs that mess with their emotions. There's one that makes them fall in love and there's one that makes them afraid and so on and so forth. Um, that's basically the entire setup. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful people in a beautiful prison on drug trips and it has a ton of potential. And I actually started, but haven't finished reading the short story that came out in the New Yorker um, called escape from Spiderhead that it's based on. And uh, my problem here is that it should be great, and it's not. I don't know, Simon. What do you? What do you? Uh, what do you? What do you think of this movie? I, I, I really wanted it to be good, and it's just sort of fine for uh, me. I got a, I got a question for you. What genre is this movie? Uh, it's uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, because this film has no idea what genre it wants to be. I mean, you, uh, my opinion of this movie, I think I liked it even less than you did it's an absolute tonal mess like it goes from slapstick comedy to 
very deep, like traumatic experiences to massive logic gaps. Uh, and no, I wouldn't. Logic gaps? I don't know if there's logic gaps. Logic gaps? Well, the like the the whole premise is that they're on they're in this island that is a prison, but they're they they're allowed to treat it like a holiday camp. So they can walk around as they want, and they can chat to everyone. And the uh, it's never really established from Jeff because one of the twists later is that we find out who actually owns it, but it's never really established that he doesn't what he already thinks is actually in place before we get the reveal later. Nothing changes with the main, with Hemsworth's character after that reveal. The, like his position doesn't change. His authority doesn't change. The fact that the truth is out about who he does or does not report to doesn't really change anything. And No, I that, mean... Yeah. That, see what I mean? By that point, we've had like up to like the three quarters mark, we've had uh, hints of a, a love romance building, and we've had this weird scene where people are for, well, forced to. I mean, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? But um, yeah, instructed to have sex with other people whilst on this drug because they're testing all these different drugs that do different like things. So one would make you feel lust for a person, one would make you see horrible hallucinations, one will make you scared of a, a specific object. And they believe they're part of this drug trial. And the the scene where they test out the lust drug is completely played for laughs. And I think... The, the so, there's, so there's two of them, and one of them definitely is, yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I guess my my feedback here is I don't I don't think there's any real egregious logic gaps within the narrative but what i would say is that this movie brings as my father was fond of saying about things new depths to the term shallow (laughs) (laughs) it does not it's such a, a rich premise to you know it's not one that's new. Like there's plenty of, you know, this society is actually a prison type stories or this Mm -hmm. prison isn't the prison you think it is type stories, but it's such a rich premise for mining commentary on just -hmm. the human condition and the way we perceive things and emotions and all that kind of stuff. And it does basically the, basically none of it It does basically none of the actual work to be good. And I, 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 I know we're about to disagree, but I, I enjoyed smarmy American accent Chris Hemsworth, even though he was a bit all over the place. Because I don't necessarily think that that's his fault. I think that's the tone the tone of the film shifting around him a little bit. Um, and him not, I don't know, it's difficult to describe. He's playing one character and the movie's, and the movie's playing him as another at certain points. And I'm not sure whose fault that is. I think it's photographed very well. I think it's a very pretty movie. Um, I think Miles Teller is, if you like Miles Teller, you'll be on board. Journey Smollett is pretty great, actually, because she basically always is. But it just doesn't do anything with any of the things that it has, other than look pretty. It's so so basic, you know what I mean? It's, I, it's, it's just that for me. It's just that it's totally basic. The visuals didn't really stand out for me in any way. But uh, Journey Smollett was great. I think she's a fantastic actress, but the... I completely disagree about Hemsworth. I think the the feeling you'll get of the movie trying to make him do one thing and him doing something else 
is what I felt is that he the the nuances of what this uh, script needed him to be uh, was completely above the ability that he was able to bring to this. Like I did not think he had any of the depth that say Sam Rockwell would have brought to this part in that kind of mix of I'm trying to be everyone's friend, but I'm secretly in charge because he does have this quite interesting thing about his character where he doesn't want to be called Mr. Something. Like he, he's got this need to be everyone's buddy. Right. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was quite interesting. Again, nothing's done with it at all. And you needed an actor who could flip between someone who's actually addicted to their own drugs, as we find out, uh, who thinks that they are in charge, but also has the desperation, as it turns out, of making these drugs work whilst keeping the truth of the facility aside. Like, there's a lot going on there. And as you, you're completely right, there's a lot of potential for a really interesting character study of the person in charge of all that at the same time. And Hemsworth just wasn't up to it at all. Like, I really like him. I think he's a really interesting, in certain parts, kind of actor. But you needed someone with a lot more nuance, a lot more subtlety in this. And and I didn't see it at all from him. And on the flip side as well, I'm not, you mentioned if you like Miles Teller, then you'll be fine here. I, I don't think he's an interesting actor on any level. I think he's a personality vacuum. And this movie didn't change my mind. He's got some interesting, he's so minimalist in his reactions. And sometimes that's quite interesting. But there's one part where, they're taking a laughing drug and he just doesn't it's the worst like fake acting laughing i've seen in a long time like he's just not he's he's not an interesting performer to me at all and so i don't think that helped as, a, as yeah. the two people leading this movie they weren't interesting enough to lead the, what the story needed them to do yeah i thought that the i thought he's best seen he's his best scenes are often the quiet ones in the films that he's actually good in. And I think that's probably true here too. There's one scene where he's been given a drug that makes him say whatever he's thinking or feeling, and he's watching something terrible and he's just sort of sitting there quietly narrating a scene. That's just awful. Uh, And I thought that was really effective, but yeah, you're right. He's not, he's just, like I say, he's just fine. He's fine. He's pretty to look at mullet aside because he has a bit of a mullet in this movie which i found <laughs> yeah. a little bit distracting i'm not gonna lie um and yeah i i sort of i do disagree about hemsworth i think that he i think he was exactly what he was asked to be in the movie and you were talking about how there's a moment where we should have had like a him his character should have had a turn um but i think that having him be exactly the same smarmy buddy buddy but actually clearly a piece of shit the whole time actually sort of was the intent and i think the the, the movie overall was just too shallow to make it land you know um, yeah, i think but i think we're splitting hairs here right we're both saying it's not great like it's it's, it's, it's not a good film it's not a good film and it, it's but it should be. This is my problem. This is where I come yeah. with my problem. I think Joseph Kaczynski is a good director, especially yeah, when it comes to his visual sense. I think that the way he positions the camera, points it, focuses, like all of that stuff is very he's, is very good in this movie. And I think that he he's already, I mean, it's basically a mulligan because he did Top Gun. He doesn't need to do, it'd be amazing if he had two great movies in, in two months, but he doesn't need to because he did Top Gun. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I mean, even the films that are of his of his that are of debatable quality, or that people debate about anyway, like um, Tron Legacy is one, and uh, Oblivion with Tom Cruise is another. Like, there's no denying that his films are visually quite stunning. Uh, I love Tron Legacy, and it really improves on rewatching as well. But visually, it's beautiful. It is beautifully shot. Yeah, and I, he's also, I mean, as a person who has very mixed feelings about Miles Teller, Joseph Kaczynski has now done three films with Miles Teller, and in two of them, I think are two of his of my favorite performances of his, one being Top Gun and the other being Only the Brave. Right, no, I have and, and, I mean, again, like that's what's, what's frustrating is that all, all of the pieces are there. Like, all of it's there for it to be a good or a great movie. And the most I can say about it is that, like, I don't exactly regret watching it. You know, like, it's, there are worse ways to spend a Friday night <laughs> if you're stuck at home. <laughs> wow. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. And the other thing that I really, like, I've always sort of hesitate to, to be upset about this kind of movie because where else, except for like Netflix and maybe Prime, are you really going to get a high concept, mid budget, star-driven science fiction movie. It just doesn't happen in big ways anymore. This is the only way we get them, and I kind of have to appreciate them at least a little bit because those are the kind of movies that I love, right? Like, I, I'm I'm all about the spectacle. I love Marvel, DC movies. I love all of that kind of stuff, but sometimes I just want something that's mid-tier, high-concept, all about the acting, and this or like a unique visual, or something. And this had all of the pieces there to be one of those, and it's just not. <laughs> it's just not. No. It's... That's the thing. Like I, I, I agree with you with the, the mid-range, high-concept sci-fi, where they, they choose a swing and then swing at it. And those things are carried by idea and script and performance. And the only thing this had was idea. Like, the script wasn't there. The performance definitely wasn't there for me. And it was just a really scrappy watch. Like the, the last shot is Journey Smollett both uh crying alternating between laughing and then being like down faced and almost crying. Because she don't know she doesn't know without spoiling anything, she's not sure what the most appropriate way to react is. And I think that's the perfect encapsulation of how I feel about the whole movie. Like, is it trying to be happy or is it trying to be sad? And it's not an interesting mix of genres it's a total like tonal mess for me it's all over the place yeah it's like oil and water like and it like that moment also should be a pretty perfect encapsulation of them trying to figure out if their feelings are authentic Mm -hmm. um and it just doesn't do any of that no it doesn't (laughs) just like absolutely that's what would have been really interesting to have that as a little coda at the end as the drugs wear off and of course, it doesn't play with anything like that. Yeah, no. Like I said, like I said before, it just it doesn't. It has so much potential, but none of the it doesn't do any of the work. Mm. You know, all of the setup, all of the ideas are there. I think all of the pieces are in place, but nothing. It doesn't then do the work. It does yeah. the the most minimal, shallowest version yeah. of what it could be. You, you said there's worse ways to pass a Friday night. This is also on a streaming service, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you have more than one streaming service. Go and watch something else. Don't, don't like this isn't worth your time. There's so many other things that you could watch. 
Go and watch Space Sweepers, a Korean sci-fi movie called Space Sweepers. You'll have a much better time if you want some sci-fi. Like, it's not worth your time. It's just not worth your time. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a fair reaction. Um, and I mean, to be fair, you're right. There's a ton of better things on streaming services. And if we don't watch them, this is the other thing. If we don't watch them, they won't make more of them. And I want more movies like this, which is why I feel torn. <laughs> Sorry, not more movies like this, but more movies yeah, with this yeah, intent. Know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't want bad ones. I just want them. But I do want them to make more, you know? Mm-hmm. So same with, like, every time there's a horror film on Netflix, I watch it. Not because I think it's going to be good, although I hope it's always good, but because I just want them to make more horror films. And if we don't watch mm-hmm. stuff in the first week, they just go, well, that wasn't worth it, and they don't make any more. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Modern yeah. media landscape is, it is frustrating. Point. Yeah. It is very different. So how many stars are you giving this film? Uh, two. I'll give it two. Mm-hmm. A generous two. You? A generous one from me. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. I think that's fair. I think it's, I mean, that lines up with, I liked it a little more than you did. Yeah. Right. Um, but I don't think it's good, you know. It, it made me want to watch I... Birds of Prey again, because Journey Smollett is fantastic. Like she's, it goes to show what a great performer she is when you've got something that isn't good, the script isn't good, and she's not surrounded by great performances, and she's just this little, like light. She has these, she's a, she has some very good nuanced like reactions and delivery. I find her really, really watchable. So that's where my one star comes from. I did like um, he's in it like basically not at all, but I did like Nathan Jones as there's a <laughs> one character who's like a huge tattooed bruiser you'd recognize nathan jones a if you're a wwe fan or b if you've watched mad max fury road in which he played rictus oh of course Um, yeah but uh he plays this muscle-bound guy and he doesn't show up very much but when he does it is generally pretty amusing either the Mm. way he reacts or people react to him is pretty amusing especially as what you think is about to happen in the scene it does he does uh play into that very nicely yeah, but then also, like, at the end when there's, you know, the inevitable big escape, it cuts back to him a number of times, and then he just doesn't show up for it. It's awful. So that end, it's... Honestly, that end sequence was just awful. That The whole thing with the keys and the the fight and him not showing up, even though it, it builds to him, like, get chasing them, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, I hated yeah. that end sequence. It was so bad. Yeah. And that's not a spoiler. I don't think we've spoiled anything exactly. Cause... Really haven't. But it's um, yeah, it's not great. So, no, I mean, it's it is pretty though, and Chris Hemsworth is very attractive. So you could always, you know, uh, you could always, <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, just turn it on and turn it put put it on mute. It's fine. I think what we've learned from this uh, film is if you're going to embed a a little thing into your skin that has little vials of liquid that you can remotely put into your body. Maybe don't put it on your back, like pointing out where it's easily knocked and have it as a plot point twice in this movie that it's knocked slightly. And when it's knocked slightly, terrible things happen. Maybe put that thing somewhere else a little <laughs> where yeah. you're not going to knock it slightly. But just but just also, if you, if you fall over or bump into something and knock it slightly, bad things happen, except for the other six times where that <laughs> happens, but nothing happens. So, so oh, I mean, I I think I think anyone who listens to us pretty regularly is knows that I'm I'm pretty willing to forgive a lot of stuff 
but I found a, I found it really hard to forgive a lot of the stuff in this one, other than that I think it's a really pretty movie. So do with that information what you will. I think we should transition awkwardly to yes. our next film, I, which I is better. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's Spiderhead. We're going to move on now to another streaming release and Festival Darling. This one premiered this year at the Sundance Film Festival and played twice at the Tribeca Film Festival, which is technically, if you're listening to this on a Sunday... Uh, is technically still happening today. Um, it is called Cha Cha Real Smooth. And Simon, why don't you give us the quick lowdown on the plot summary of Cha Cha Real Smooth? Uh, yes. So, twenty-year-old uh, Andrew, played by Cooper Rafe, is in a bit of a junction in his life. His girlfriend is going to Barcelona on a study trip, and um, he is. Uh, almost penniless, living back with his parents because she she at the beginning she leaves and it's quite clear that she is ending that relationship. But he kind of hangs on like a puppy dog. There's lots of puppy dog energy with his character, and um, he works in the wonderfully named Meat Sticks, which is a fast food like corn dog place or something. And um, it's very clear that his character is very good with people. He's very good like helping people and he ends up taking his little brother to a bar mitzvah and because it's such a boring now is it a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah there's my ignorance i think it's a bat so the uh so the first one they go to is a bat mitzvah right um so it's a boring party and he uses his energy to get everyone dancing and up and around and two things happen because of this the first is that he gets booked by a bunch of Jewish mothers in a very funny scene to be the party starter for all their other parties. And the second thing is, is that he meets uh, Dakota Johnson, uh, the mo- uh, who's there with her daughter, uh, Lola. So Dakota Johnson plays Domino and Vanessa Burkhart plays Lola. And Lola has autism and uh, she isn't, uh, she's unwilling to dance and he uses his powers of persuasion to get her dancing. So catches... Domino's attention. And then what what really happens over the next um, hour or so is that their relationship grows more tender and more firm. And he he develops a relationship as like a a protective relationship with Lola, a romantic interest in Domino whilst helping his brother, whilst trying to sort his own life out and pining after his girlfriend, who's clearly doing other things in Barcelona. So it's... it's, um, it's lots of interesting moving pieces and through the, the parts of this movie that are like, there's a formula here that you'll recognize, but then it does interesting things and it all teaches him things by the end of it. He learns things and it's really carried by his great energy. Like, I don't know who Cooper Rafe is. I've never seen him in anything, um, but he's got this real like puppy dog energy and between him and Dakota Johnson, who I thought was fantastic, it really uh, carries this whole relationship. And it ends in ways you probably don't predict or expect, but it is that it's one of these nice, warm, fuzzy movies that I got lots of book smart energy from this. How about you? What did you what's your take on it? Um, I quite liked it as well. Um, I think that puppy dog energy is a perfect way to describe um, Cooper Rafe's character's energy. Uh, I think it's a 
in many ways it's it's unique and interesting i think in many ways it's also like i've definitely seen the movie of the 22 year old with no direction who finds direction via an older woman and some familiar connection before like it's not a new premise but it is a very well executed version of that premise which i appreciate i've seen people raving about this movie i've been hearing about it since sundance and we have one friend thomas in particular hi thomas if you're listening who uh now is continuing to rave about it he hasn't shut up about it since sundance and i'm i love that he loves it but i just thought it was good you know yeah i'm, I'm with you i'm almost <laughs> scared to not not rave about it as much um but I, I i there's a lot to like here but it didn't go past like for me i really enjoyed watching it and i at the precise moment where I thought, wow, this is really formulaic, like you know exactly how this is going to go from a very early point, there's a little shift in that in the last like half an hour, which I really appreciated. But um, this kind of thing's very much about performance and, and sort of the, the, the uh, relationship between the actors and their characters. And I think that uh, the, there was a really great chemistry between that that central three and also Leslie Mann who has a, an interesting role as, as Andrew's mum with a lot going on herself. That's never really explored outside of when it needs to be part of the narrative, but there was really good uh, connection between the actors. And I think that carried a lot of this sort of formulaic story through as did his script, which it's not a people don't talk like this this is like one of those movies where you you watch it that's meant to like reflect how funny people talk and people mm-hmm. don't talk like this in real life it's exactly like book smart nobody talks like this in real life it's kind of the ideal of how people always know exactly the right thing to say at the right time and and that's fine but it's not it's not a naturalistic script if you like but um it's quite fun yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned you got sort of book smart vibes from it, and I wouldn't say that I got that. Um, but what I did get is I know that he Cooper Ray finally sort of got his start because he connected with uh, one of the Duplass brothers, Mark Duplass, I think. And the Duplass brothers are at the center of the whole like mumblecore movement, which if you're not familiar, I don't have time to explain. But the the short version of it is that they've made a ton of movies. Um, and been in a bunch of movies that are produced, you know, it's this whole group of people and it's this very naturalistic style of filming and everyone speaks really cleverly. Um, sometimes it's improvised. I think the one you, Simon, that you probably like best from that I know you've seen is Drinking Buddies. Oh. That came out of that whole movement and crew. Um, um, and so I sort of got that same energy and it's not the kind of thing where I necessarily, I don't need them to speak naturally really. Yeah. Like if, as long as it works within the logic of the, of the story. Um, but I, and I just also, I just really, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of mixed. Cause on the one hand, I do really like the young dipshit grows up a little bit type story. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have seen it a million times before though. Like it's, it's again it's just it's a it's a really well executed version of a story that i've definitely seen before mm-hmm. but i think i think the standout for me is 
probably Dakota Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think she's pretty wonderful in this. As, you know, a Cooper Rafe's character, Andrew, is meant to be 22. And they never really state how old Domino is meant to be. But in real life, she's 32. And the daughter is played by a woman who is 18 in real life. And it's never really stated how old she's meant to be. But you can infer that she's like 15, mm-hmm. 14, something like that. And the, the sort of... the. The reasons why Dakota Johnson's character acts and behaves the ways that she does are all very understandable and very relatable. And if anyone's ever had, like, you know, a a bad experience with love when they were young, I think they'll find ways to relate to this through her. And anyone who's basically been you know, a male human being at age 22 will be able to relate to Andrew. <laughs> you know, it's, we're all pretty stupid at that age. And her her character clinging on to her youth and sort of knowing she needs to, but resisting growing up, I think is a really interestingly interesting dynamic. And she does a really great job communicating that, not just with her words, but with her whole body language and everything she does in the movie. Uh, with every bit of material that she's given, I think she's really great, uh, and I hope she gets some recognition for it through the through the end of the year. I think she's legitimately great in it. Yeah, I agree. I, she um, the energy she gives off is exactly the right foil for his, like her kind of world weary, tired uh, energy against his like young optimistic puppy dog. It works really really well, and you're you're right. Like for me. His Cooper Ray's character in this is the twenty-two-year-old I I always wish I could be, I could have been then. Like, and again, nobody, there's no twenty-two-year-old who speaks that perfectly and is able to be that confident. I don't believe it at all. But I always wanted to be, like, the person who knows exactly what to say and when to say it because I always had trouble talking to people I didn't know, and so it 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 was interesting. Like between that and the way they're a relationship is resolved or it was a little little close to to home than i was expecting um so it was uh, there was some personal <laughs> notes in this film but the um uh it's it you you gotta i think you don't need them to speak naturally you're right but it is a very much a precise thing is it is it manipulative in some way maybe I don't know. Like it, it certainly, uh, it certainly Phil, plays the emotional cards very cleverly. It didn't feel cynical. Like you can be. It, it was not a cynical film, and it's not. It doesn't um, go over the top in making you feel certain things. But it's a very I mean, precise I, script, I think. I I know that like no one likes to talk about it, and the term manipulation is bandied about as a negative, and I suppose that it is, but. Movies are designed to manipulate their emo- your emotions. It's just a matter of whether they do it openly or cynically, or whether they do it, you know, smartly or cheaply. And mm-hmm. this one, this one, does it openly and not cheaply. You know, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. it's it's very sincere. Yeah. It's very uncynical. Um, and yeah, I thought I, I just I I did really enjoy it. It's a it's a, a perfectly cromulent film. If you will, (laughs) 
Um, and I know that Cooper Cooper Rafe is probably going to move on to, to bigger things. This is his second feature uh, that he's both that he's written and directed and starred in after after a short. So he's done one major short film and then these two features. And I'm sure he'll be move on to other things because this is a huge festival, darling. And yeah. uh, I think part of the reason it doesn't feel like we were saying just now, I think part of the reason it doesn't feel cynical is that basically all of the characters, or at least the two main characters are given lots of space to make mistakes and to grow and learn from those mistakes. And not yeah. just like, obviously your protagonist in any story needs to have room to, to grow and mature as a character in person. But I think it gives Dakota Johnson's character a really, an amount, an honest amount of room to make honest and relatable mistakes and learn from them and yeah. the way her story is resolved feels very for lack of a better way to say it feels very grown up to yeah. me yeah no i totally agree the resolution did, went to a place and i think it earned that place and it it was a very uh natural and believable resolution even though it wasn't quite the one that you thought was maybe coming and yeah. it, it fit with everything that led up to that point and i thought it was a it was a really interesting decision because it could have gone horribly wrong. And I think a lot of credit should go to um, this character who is Dakota Johnson's fiance, played by Raul Castillo. Castillo, I guess. Castillo, Castillo. yeah. And he's got, he's this like out of time lawyer who's meant to be kind of stoic, but if he, he could have, it could have gone too far. There's some implication that they're, they're, relationship's not very happy at one point and he's so kind of quiet and staring it could have gone too far into what is he actually hurting her in fact that's that's one of the kind of minor things later on is he actually hurting her and the end depends on the ability of us to believe that he's actually a good guy that he's actually okay and Raul Castillo I think really finds that fine line between being stoic before being threatening. And I, I thought that was a, a really balanced performance. I really like uh, Brad Garrett as well, who I'm sure I've seen him in other things before, who played Andrew's stepdad, who, um, who he had a minor role, but I thought he did really, really well. I really mm. liked the way he did that. I don't, I don't know if I agree that Raul, Raul Castillo's character was ever threat threatening or like causing harm. I think, I think there, the implication is more that just, is he making her happy? Not if he, not, not, is he making her miserable, but is he making her happy? Yeah. And... But he's, he's, he's stoic and kind of non-emotional the way that Andrew is. And there's one story beat where Domino's not there and Joseph is, and Andrew goes to a place where he's worried that Domino might have, might for whatever reason, not be okay and um and the the character of joseph has to give us that uh moment before that time that it's got to be impossible because we're seeing everything through andrew's head and when yeah i just the resolution then it's got to go the other way as well yeah i just it's impossible to say what i need to say to say what i need to say here which is a really awkward sentence uh, <laughs> without without spoiling a whole big chunk of the movie but um, yeah. 
I just, I just disagree with the implication. I think it comes from a different place, but I don't want to say what it is because it will spoil a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but he's good. And, the, and honestly, and the, 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 that moment in the story isn't really changed by the different intent too severely. Um, it's just, but I can't tell you what it is without spoiling a chunk of the story. So I'm not going to. There's one thing I didn't like, and... I don't know if it's my own ignorance, but he, Vanessa Bogart's Lola has autism and she speaks in a different way to everybody else. Like she doesn't um, contract anything. So if she says, I'm not happy, she says, I am not happy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this done in many films where the autistic person speaks in full sentences in a, in, in a way to contrast no, uh, uh, more uh, regular authentic speaking, which involves way more contractions as everyone else did in this film. And this is done in that terrible Good Doctor series as well, which is just awful with the autistic doctor. And um, I, years and years and years ago, I did a project with um, autistic children and I didn't hear a single one of them ever talk like that. And I was slightly... uh, it slightly annoyed me that her script was written in this way with like quote unquote, the autistic way of speaking that I've seen done in other films. Now it could be the case that this is a sign and a consequence of autism that I don't know about. Let's not ever discount my general ignorance in these things, but in my experience of working with a lot of autistic kids that I've never worked with an autistic kid that speaks like that. And I've seen it done in more than one production. And it kind of opens me a bit. It is possible, and I don't know for sure. And I'm. Uh, it's important to highlight that I am just as ignorant as you are when it comes to this. But Vanessa Burkhardt is herself autistic, as I understand it. So it could come from her as well. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It is very much a very stereotypy mm-hmm. way of uh, creating contrast with an autistic character. Same with the um, headphones. Uh, she's mm-hmm. always wearing headphones so she can sort of like she gets to a place of like sensory overload which is a thing that I understand happens mm-hmm. but I've also I have known autistic people in my life and none of them have carried around headphones mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's but I've seen that in TV a bunch of times you know like where TV and movies where like the autistic character has a set of headphones that they put on when they need to isolate in place type thing. I've just never seen it in real life. And to be fair again, I am completely ignorant. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But you're not wrong. I think that the the I guess the best way to say it is it does feel like the script for the autistic character was written by a normally abled person but without a lot of consultation on what it's from uh, the autistic community would be the way to put it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a bit too much on the side of assumption. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And but you know maybe, maybe we're wrong. I mean, it's probable even that we're wrong. But I don't, in this moment, think that we are. <laughs> I'd be very so. interested to find out, and um, uh, obviously edu- be educated on that. There is a story beat. I can't really. Again, it's a spoiler, but there's a there's a moment where um, there's a growing connection between Andrews and, and Lola now trusts Andrew in a way that 
she hasn't trusted other sitters before because he becomes her like sitter when Domino wants to go out and there's a uh, an action performed to help her sleep and I was it seems like the film is going down the path of Lola falling in love with Andrew and uh, and I thought that was perhaps gonna be another wrinkle and then it's never even hinted at ever again like did, did I read too much into that no, I was actually sort of saying this is gonna bring up the same thing. Uh, I, I, it did seem like the a connection is forming. Um, whether it is just familial or like an emotional attachment, like you're implying, uh, I, I wasn't gonna really try and wager a guess because I didn't want to because I'm not able to because my bigger complaint about the movie is that at a certain point, Lola just disappears from the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like around the three quarter mark or two third mark of the film, she just stops being a part of the film. Like entirely. Mm-hmm. Like they, it goes through all of the setup where Andrew is forming a, an attachment with Domino and a separate, but equally important attachment with Lola. But then when it comes time to resolve those things, the movie just kind of forgets that Lola is there. Mm-hmm. And it focuses entirely on Andrew and Domino, and they talk about Lola. But you, from a certain point on, you she, she's basically just becomes like you see her a couple of times, but she just becomes kind of a prop in a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be a little disappointing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 no. And she's, I mean, she's to be fair, she's she's there to be fair. <laughs> she's there. She's there at the very last scenes, but again, she's just kind of a prop in that scene the last scene not she doesn't have like a functional resolution and maybe that's on purpose like they do call out that like she would have difficulty resolving it's uh, so hard to talk about without spoiling it but um it it's entirely possible that it's purposeful they do at one point talk talk about the fact that he might never see her again and what that would the consequences of that would be for her but it does bother me that she, but by that point she's been gone from the movie for a solid 20 minutes, right? Mm. Like it's not, we had this conversation then we never saw her again. It's, we never saw her again. Then later on we talked about it. Mm. So it's, I, I feel like I'm giving too much of this away. Um, no, I, I, I see your point. Like the, she's used as an emotional, like they say goodbye twice. There's two conversations between Domino and Andrew at the end. Uh, and that are very, very important and the very well acted. Very well acted. And she's not like Lola's not a part of either of those. And um they do talk about I'd like to say like the the emotional connection might be too much for her to deal with, but I would like to see that. You know, I'd like I, I think she by that point she had earned a place at the table for this three person relationship. And he definitely built this fatherly kind of big brotherly fatherly connection with this person who doesn't trust anyone else like and just to kind of only focus on Dakota Johnson's emotions at that point was kind of doing a disservice to all the work that had been done to build a connection with Lola yeah it sort of becomes uh, this is probably a little more extreme than it actually is but it kind of becomes a a different kind of movie in the third act Mm -hmm. Because they basically drop Lola from the narrative. 
Although I did like that they the 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 film goes to great pains to establish a very close and loving relationship between Andrew and his little brother, um, David, played by Evan Asante. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that that continued through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I, and, and and stayed, you know, it has, you know, as stories in movies tend to, it has moments of conflict, but it's resolved and they are, they remain very close through the whole story, despite a fairly large age gap. And, um, I, I, I love their relationship and I loved that I've come from a family of four and you are from, from a family of two and I've got two kids and I've never seen any brother or sister communicate in that way. Like, so like open and loving and like communicative. And, uh, it was, again, it's an idealized version of, of these people, um, but it was it was a very sweet relationship. I didn't believe it was real for a second, but it was a very sweet relationship. <laughs> yeah, but well, you know, it's a movie; it doesn't have to be real. No, that's true. Yeah. So, what what are you going to give this one out of five? I think for like, me, it's a pretty solid three. It's a solid three for me as well, and I I really enjoyed it, but it didn't do more. Like there wasn't more than that for me. I would definitely watch it again. I think it's a very easy watch. In contrast to our last movie, it's I really recommend watching it. Um, it's got some very sweet moments. It's the the dialogue is really snappy and energetic, and uh, it's it's just really fun and enjoyable to watch. And like you said earlier, we've all been to at the stupid puppy dog love stage. Some of us never escape it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, it's it's likely to ring true for many many people that the 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 way this is resolved. So yeah, I I would recommend it. It's a solid three, absolutely. And it's readily available because now it's out on Apple TV Plus. So mm-hmm. if you purchase an Apple device in the past twelve months, you're free to watch it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you should watch it. It's very good. Yeah, and honestly, um, you know, it's easy to rag on streaming services, but Apple TV Plus actually has a pretty high hit rate of mm-hmm. good stuff versus bad. So mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, debatably one of the more worthwhile ones if you're going to mm-hmm. talk about having more than just a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I think we're going to mm-hmm. wrap it up there. Next yeah. week, uh, I think we actually know what we're going to talk about because the final episode yeah. of Obi-Wan Kenobi is, Kenobi is coming is coming up and we're going to talk about... We haven't really talked about the show too much. We talked about it a little bit, but we're going to talk about it in a lot more depth uh after it is over next week mm-hmm. and then uh we have a we have another couple things we might be watching but look for obi-wan and something else next yes. week <laughs> uh something we're, else we're, tbd <laughs> we're, we're gonna have a lot to say about obi-wan we've kind of stored up all our weekly reactions and um uh when when they are unleashed after episode six that i think we're gonna have <laughs> a lot to talk about i know i do are you going to go to the um, the special screenings of all six episodes? <laughs> There's a what now? There's a, a no, so, no. So the no. Disney showing they they are showing the last episode theatrically, and some theaters are showing all six episodes in one go, like some kind of like four hour movie of everyone. That's going to be more than four hours. That's going to be like um, they're all they're all like sixty minutes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. No, anyway. I did no. that once. I've done that before for Lord of the Rings, and I never need to do it again <laughs> for anything. 
I even like I, the first year that I went to Vancouver Film Festival, I did a day where I spent all day. I chose a theater that uh, I chose a, a theater that I knew was playing things that I would want to see, so like in a row. And I watched four movies back to back to back wow. to back. And even that with like 45 minute to one hour breaks in between the films. No, I don't need to do that again. Yeah, it's pretty exhausting. I did three once and that was more as bad as much as I could take. Yeah, it doesn't help that I don't fit in theaters, very generally speaking, physically, <laughs> but it was pretty, it was pretty bad. So, <laughs> well, uh, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we understand we have a bunch more subscribers now, so if this is your first time, welcome. And if it's not, thank you. And if you like us, please give us a five-star review subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice tell two friends about this <laughs> awesome podcast that you have been listening to wow. where two bearded middle-aged white guys which is no, totally they, abnormal in the landscape of podcasting I just talk about that movies there's not enough straight white guys talking about movies that's right? true so give us a break god damn it yeah right i mean it's not like every middle-aged white guy hits a certain <laughs> a certain point in his life, grows a beard, and starts a podcast. It's not like that's a it's not like that's a phenomenon. Yeah, but ours is good. That's but great. ours is good. Yeah, ours is good. So please uh, like, subscribe, tell your friends. If you'd like to support us more directly, uh, please note in the show notes you'll find a link for a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash. Uh, I think it's Matthew Simpson uh, and a Kofi and you can support us more directly with those um, we produce this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations and one more time thank you so much for listening we will see you next week thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday thanks guys bye